Greetings, old Haleburians and members of the wider Halebury community, wherever and whenever you are listening to this podcast. This is Keith White from the Class of 62, bringing you the 13th of our regular podcast series, which includes audio material from the Halebury archives. In this episode, we feature an interview Chief Archivist Matthew Wharton recorded recently with School Marshal Gary McLean, who has just clocked up 30 years in the job. But firstly, let's have a listen to a short tribute to our oldest living Haleburian, William Buckland, which was recorded at the recent Clark Club luncheon in October. I'll let alumni director Russell Davidson do the introduction. Unfortunately, our oldest known living old Haleburian, William Buckland, uh, cannot be with us today. Up until yesterday, he was absolutely intending on being here, but unfortunately has been admitted to hospital. William was very keen to say a few words to you all today had he been here. However, he has insisted from his hospital bed that his words are remembered. And it's my great pleasure now to introduce Laurelly Bow, a wonderful friend of William's, to provide his memories to you all today. Laurelly, welcome. Thanks, Russell. So, as Russell has said, William was determined to be here today, but his body clearly had other plans. So, this oldest of Haleybury old boys wants you to know, he wants you to know that he's certainly here in spirit today. Last weekend, when I visited him, he shared with me some ideas for his speech today. And as Russell said, yesterday he asked me to deliver it. So, what follows is a mixture of what he'd planned to say and some of my own observations about him. He reminds us that we're here to celebrate memory. You each have special memories of your lives and school days at Haleybury. His memories are from another era, an era clearly before any of yours. And with a touch of nostalgia, he says that all the people I shared these memories with are now gone. William's father was one of the most successful businessmen of his era. He died at the age of 64. Now his son, William, at the age of 95, reminds us that it's not the amount of time one spends on this earth that's important, but how the time is used. William recalls how, when it came time for his education to begin in earnest, his father made his intentions very clear. I'll let William tell you the story. My father was a strict disciplinarian and devoted to the traditions of the old country. He had identified Haleybury as the best school to provide me with a sound English education. There were two main reasons for his choice. Firstly, there was a Haleybury in England with an excellent reputation. Secondly, the headmaster of the time, Mr Dickinson, had a reputation for being a strict disciplinarian. That appealed to my father's principle of spare the rod and spoil the child. I became a boarder at Haleybury in 1933. I recall there were some 80 pupils. It was a beautiful old Victorian building with its traditional lacework. I can still see it there on the corner of New Street and South Road. I can also picture the fountain and the huge Moreton Bay fig trees. These pictures have stayed clearly in my mind, along with the memories of the people I knew there. I remember Mrs Dickinson, the headmaster's wife, who ran the boarding school, did all the cooking and the cleaning. Imagine that. 
She was a great cook, which appealed to all of us boarders. I remember also Miss Cameron, the kindergarten teacher, who suddenly took ill and died, a sobering lesson to us children of the fragility of life. I also remember Frank Northcote, the young teacher who lived in the boarding house and who subsequently became deputy headmaster. Sounds like there's more memories of him in this room. He was just two years older than William, and he and William used to walk up South Road to what they called the Apple Orchard. William says, I'm a little fuzzy as to the exact date, but in around 1935 or 36, the Presbyterian Church became involved with the school, injecting some much-needed capital that enabled Haleybury to keep its doors open. In conjunction with that, I recall the day in 1938 when our cadets, led by Frank Northcote, formed a guard of honour for the then Attorney General, a Mr Robert Menzies, who was to lay the first brick for the new building that was to be opened. But in spite of the good life as a student, William was impatient to leave studies behind him and to start life. And this happened in 1940 when he was 16 and the world was at war. He recalls a different world, some of which I know many of you will remember. It was a world of segregation of whites and blacks, even as they fought together in the war. The Chinese greengrocer was the only Asian face he'd ever seen. You didn't lock your house, and you parked your car on the street and left the keys in the ignition. He also recalls the police as big burly blokes who would seize you by the collar and haul you home to face your father if you stepped out of line. And of course, your father, or his father at least, would give you a belting. Not allowed, he says today but it certainly helped us tell the difference between right and wrong. William's work in army intelligence led him into the field of behavioural psychology and a lifelong interest in people, and he retains that to this day. He also followed in his father's entrepreneurial footsteps, building a range of successful businesses. He also recalls the simple joy of restoring an old motorbike and sidecar and travelling around Tasmania with the girl who was to become his first wife. That was the beginning of many adventures that have taken me all over this great country and across the world, he says. But along with that success, he's lived through the toughest of times as well. He recalls the heartbreak of having to shoot his flock of sheep on his Queensland station during one of Australia's horrendous droughts. William has been proud to continue the philanthropic work that his father set up with the William Buckland Foundation. And since 1964, the foundation has distributed in excess of $92 million to further its goal of supporting better housing, health, employment and education outcomes and initiatives that build resilience and strengthen regional communities. These days, at 95 years of age, William says, my body is wearing out. But I often wish I could have another go at life to enjoy the benefit of all I've learned. That, of course, is not possible. Life is what happens when you're learning about it. But I can tell you that he remains engaged his mind is active and his appreciation for people is undimmed. I walked into his hospital room yesterday and he immediately introduced me to the two nurses by name. 
told me a little of their history and their aspirations. To take that kind of interest in people when you're lying there in pain, I think is quite remarkable. I think it's something that makes our world a better place. So I think William is well qualified to remind us in closing of the impact we have on the people around us, and in particular on the generation following us through life. We help to shape their memories, he says, which in turn shapes their lives. He goes on, I don't remember a great deal of the subject matter I learned at school. I remember the people and the friendships forged. They have enriched my life. I hope you enjoy the same experience. Thank you. An eloquent tribute indeed. And we should not forget the generosity of the William Buckland Foundation, which awards two Halebury scholarships for Indigenous students. Bill Waters and I recorded an interview with William some years ago at his home in Mount Eliza. We plan to feature extracts from that interview in a future podcast episode. Now, before our interview with Gary McLean, a little background on the role of school marshal, a position that was created in 1969. What follows is taken from a tribute to Gary's predecessor, Barney Potter, the first holder of the office at Halebury, on his retirement in 1989. In 1969, Mr Potter joined the Halebury College Cadet Unit as its quartermaster following his retirement from the Australian Army. Quite apart from cadets, some larger schools found the need to appoint a school marshal someone to establish a uniformity of fairness and discipline for all. Halebury was most fortunate to have such a man already in its cadet corps, so Mr Potter was appropriately transferred to this position of wider responsibility. Undoubtedly Mr Potter has endeared himself to even some of the most difficult of boys by his firm patience and thorough fairness. Nevertheless, Mr Potter has respected the care and diplomacy required in his position and become a respected member of the Halebury Common Room. That was then. This is now, so it's over to you, Matthew. Mr McLean, it's a great pleasure to be here with you at the end of 30 years of service to <laughs> Halebury, Halebury College and Halebury Girls College. I want to ask you a few questions on the record uh, about your time at Halebury and all the different things that have happened over your time here so that current and past and indeed future students can enjoy learning more about the journey that Halebury has been on and the people who made that journey possible. So my first question for you, Mr McLean, is what did you do before coming to Halebury? Yeah, well, I, uh, I did 20 years in the Royal Australian Navy before I came here. I left straight out of uh, school and did the 20 years and then, um, then come to Halebury College. When you started at Halebury, which I believe is in 1989, at the end of 1989, yep. um, what do you remember about the very you know, first couple of days and weeks of your time at the school? Yeah, well, it's like 30 years is a long time ago, and uh, the old brain's not as good as it used to be. But, yeah, I was interviewed by um, Mr Aikman, Michael Aikman, who was the then principal, and also the vice-principal, uh, John Neal. Barney Potter was the person that was in the chair at the time who'd been here 20 years already and he was the first school marshal that Hartlebury ever had. So he stood beside Barney or sat with Barney for those last couple of weeks of 1989 to get an idea of how the job went 
it, it was a big school even then. So, yeah, it was just a fair indication you're going to be uh, fairly busy. Did you know how long roughly Barney served in the role? Was he there for a long time? Yeah, 20 years, Barney. And Barney himself had been in the military. He'd been in the army. He was a warrant officer in the army, Barney. So these types of jobs, I think, lent themselves to ex-military people. And uh, I think there's a couple in Melbourne who have had Scotch did, an ex-military man. And there's a few in Sydney, I think, uh, that um, big private schools or private schools have ex-military people in uh, school marshal or school officer positions and they vary slightly um, but basically they're similar sorts of jobs but there is a bit of a variation. Some do a little bit more uh, than others but um, that's the sort of person that um, sits in that position. Well, there'd be few who've done more than you Mr McLean over the years I'd say. You'd be hard pressed to find more a more dedicated marshal. Uh, my next question is what have been the most demanding parts on a day-to-day basis of being a school marshal? Well, the most demanding every day is it's because of the sheer numbers of students that are here and the, the amount of things that happen every day. Uh, you've always got to get the absences done. That, that's a priority. But there are so many other things that happen during the day and there's those ones that that are out of the blue and there's quite a lot of those types of situations that happen so even though you think you might be going fairly well uh, it can all turn to custard pretty rapidly uh, when two or three incidents or whatever happen that need to be attended to straight away and and most times they do need to be attended to so the challenge is to uh, sort of get through get through the day uh, And hold it all together and get as much as you possibly can or what you're supposed to get done because usually it runs over into the next day then you're into another challenging day of uh, the same stuff. So it's pretty testing, it's pretty testing, but uh, you do get enjoyment out of it and the day goes by very quickly. I can see that. And what have been the most satisfying parts of the role for you? Like when you you think back on on 30 years, what's brought you the most joy and enjoyment? Well, I suppose the first thing is that I've survived uh, 30, 30 years and I'm still alive. No, I mean, well, that's a good effort. I'm only joking. But, um, yeah, the most satisfying, I suppose, I suppose, is to see, see the boys go through from when you come across them as a, a little tacko sort of... Well, years ago, it used to be Form 3. We had the whole whole lot at the same place as opposed to what we've got now where the year nines are a little bit detached from us so you don't have as as much to do with the year nines until they come up here in year 10 but yeah it's it's satisfying to see um, them go through and you know standing up there in assembly and and doing you know all those sorts of things and and some of the ones that you've actually had to deal with who were going down the wrong path or they were a little bit disruptive or there was some issue that they had and that it was resolved you know with a little bit of talking and maybe one or two consequences and they realized well it's no use beating your head against the wall Uh, it's better to and and yeah that you see them at the end and they're quite a bit different than when you first come across these young fellas of course there's the ones that it doesn't work sometimes at all it doesn't matter how much their house heads or the um, head of boys or puts into these students it probably wouldn't make any difference whether they were at Harbury College or they were at some other school uh, it'd be the same but on the whole they accept their punishments they or consequences uh, they realize they've done the wrong thing 
and uh, and they just move on and as I say at the end it's really good and they'll come back and speak to you and see how you are and all that sort of stuff so so yeah that's that's really satisfying when when they do come back maybe two or three years later and some of them would have been in my office more times than a lot of other students but they still come back and uh, and say hello and that so that's yeah that's that's really satisfying oh, there's this huge sense of affection for you from the student body and in the past students i think just about every time uh past students come through they seem to be banging on your door so i know you're held in extremely high regard by especially the boys that you've dealt with over the years and the girls but uh, particularly the boys who've had that relationship so yeah i'm not too sure whether Maybe I am too soft. I'm not, for oh. some, some of them at times probably would disagree with that that pretty much. But, yeah, I'm not sure, sure what it is, whether they uh, they accept the fact that, yeah, they've they've done wrong and they, they need to fix it uh, or they needed a bit of a blast or whatever that happened at the time. It worked or they just changed their attitude or whatever. But, it's yeah, it's, it's really good to see to see that happen, that you have had some sort of effect on those, those young people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thinking broadly about the school's been through a lot of change. You know, you could look back five years and say how much of the school's mm. changed, but think, looking back over 30 years and thinking how much the school's changed, what have been the biggest things for you? Like uh, looking at, you know, the direction of the school and the goals of the school and how the school operates on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, I suppose it was pretty simplistic when I first came because there was no computers, you know, everything had to be done by hand, everything was written by hand, and all boys, it was fairly rough and and ready, you know, because boys are boys and there, are, there was a lot of physicality and all that sort of stuff. And the, the school itself in size was, like, massive. Yeah. It was... It went for sort of miles. It was it was a huge area to patrol. Out where all the estates are now, which is yeah, that's Bridge. right. Where all the houses are now. That was that was all Harlebury College. Yeah. So that alone was, has been a big change, mm. and um, just managing the boys and the different way that boys only seem to behave. They're all good kids. And then when, say, Robert came, he changed things fairly dramatically for a start. He, half of the land disappeared or it was so reduced qu- quite a bit yes. and and buildings uh, the change in the place itself uh, where, where a lot of open spaces were even though the back part had gone there was still quite a bit of space within the school itself mm-hmm. like where the year 12 common room is and um, uh, where hospitality is and the locker bays were just land Yes. both locker bays was, that was a really big change in relation to this physical school itself mm. and uh, the rooms were all changed from 18 to you know to Foyster whatever or Myers all the different codes, so all yeah. the different codes and all that sort of stuff that all changed to a university type system and the continuing evolution of changes as I say classes were cut in half and and all those sorts of things and, and 
a wall would be have a door in it where it never had a door before or there'd be an office where there wasn't an office before. Uh, the quad was nothing like it is today. It was just a quad with none of these chairs and seats and all that sort of stuff. It was just a quad. And much more populous now. And it is. Well, yeah, it is. It's, yeah, you get a lot more people in there now. And not, I don't know whether it's because the, the amount of ground has been reduced because the hockey courts and the tennis courts also took up more of that area that kids used to get out there and kick the footy and all that sort of stuff so and the numbers have increased of course and the size of the area that they can sort of get around in has been considerably reduced compared to what it was when it was all boys like it was it was a massive place then it's big now but uh, it's yes it's so much different than when I first came here you know 30 years ago and they still change the, the things still change come back from the end of term three and the, the doors and the room numbers had changed again. So I think it was a bit of a surprise for most people, but that's taken a bit. So those sorts of things. And, uh, Derek is doing the same thing. He's, uh, he's a builder like the other couple, Mr Aikman, firstly, and then uh, Robert, and now Derek, who's the big school in China and uh, city campus and, and Darwin. So, yes, huge, huge changes. It's massive changes, massive staff. So things are certainly different than 30 years ago Absolutely. and still evolving. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you prepare now to pass on the baton, uh, as it were, to, the, to, the, to your successor as school marshal, what words of wisdom might you offer him or her in, in that role? The only thing I can offer the a new school marshal is hopefully if he gets here in time to a little bit of assistance in, in what to do, yeah, just be prepared to work very very hard every single day uh, because that's just what happens here you've got to be prepared to maybe put in a couple of hours extra and just do those do the hard bits I suppose well you can't help it a lot of the time I suppose it depends on the person who sits in the seat sits in the chair whether they say well I I'll do that or I'll I'll not do that I'm not too sure but yeah it's that's the only advice I can offer any new school marshal or any person that wants to sit in this chair, that, yeah, you've you really got to be prepared to put the time in and, um, and do the work. Otherwise, you know, you could find yourself falling behind very rapidly. Well, I'm sure I speak on behalf of thousands of Haleroo students and staff, and I say thank you for your interview today and thank you for 30 years of incredible service. Thank you very much, Gary McLean. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. All the best, mate. Nice work, Matthew. I must admit that as a member of staff in 1969, I thought the whole school marshal thing was a bit medieval. But as I observed Barney and the care he took in his relationships with often difficult students, I got the point. And from all accounts, Gary McLean has continued this fine tradition. Well, that's it for this 13th From the Archives podcast. The next episode should be coming your way in January. Please remember that your feedback is what keeps us going. So, if you've got a comment to make or a story you'd like to tell, please get in touch. My email, keith.white at halebury.vic.edu.au or perhaps send me a text or voicemail to 0490 477398. Again, 0490 477398. This is Keith White signing off from the Archives, Series 1, Episode 13, December 2019. Thanks for listening.